Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are taking a look at Argyle. The new Matthew Vaughn film is out. It cost $200 million from Apple Plus. And boy, reviews have not been kind. But we went and saw it, and we're going to tell you whether or not it's worth your time. We're also going to take a look at Lisa Frankenstein. Uh, this is the new Zelda Williams feature. And you might be thinking, Zelda Williams, like Robin Williams? Yes, it's actually his daughter in her first directorial feature debut with a script from Diablo Cody. Sure to be a strange one, uh, featuring an eccentric teenager uh, bringing her un dead boyfriend to life and uh you know having some misadventures along the way uh we're going to talk about the super bowl exciting trailers from the big game as cbs likes to call it of course but fortunately we're a private podcast i think it's okay if we just call it the super bowl probably not actually uh we're gonna talk about trailers some things that came out there that we want to look at before we get to all of it we need to talk about the news our first story this week jurassic world had and then lost its new director Amazing! This all happened in like three days. It was it was a, it was a wonderful time on film Twitter. Uh, uh, Jurassic World uh, for Universal announced that for the new Jurassic World movie, they were going to have David Leitch in talks to direct. Leitch, Leitch, uh, and then swiftly after, uh, four days later, it was announced that he wasn't doing the movie at all. He's not doing it. He's off the project. Uh, really odd to just announce this and then lose this. Andy, what's uh, going on with the new Jurassic World? So like all memorable franchises, it's going to be done to death. Uh, we're getting a reboot of the Jurassic Park world series, whatever. This looks like this will completely start over, not have any of the characters from the previous installments of the film. So Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard are out. The returning characters from the original franchise, uh, David, uh, just sorry, David, Jeff Goldblum, Sam Neill, Laura Dern are also out. So it looks like they're looking to have a completely fresh start. What I, I think it's starting to get very difficult to do, but this series makes money. People love dinosaurs, even bad CGI ones with no plot and story or, or good action. But they're redoing it. And weirdly enough, yeah, David Leach was attached to this. He did things like Bullet Train, Deadpool 2, Atomic Blonde. Um, and then four days later, they're looking for a new director and they're like, uh, we need someone right now because this is slated for uh, a, a year and a half to come out. So please, someone. Yeah, uh, July 2nd, 2025. You know when you already announce when your film's coming out before you've even like started pre-production? I guess you're right. Like uh, Original Jurassic World uh, script writer David Kep is back. He's writing this one. David, sorry, Jurassic Park and The Lost World. He did one and two for Steven Spielberg. He's writing this one. And it seems like Universal doesn't really want any director who's going to come in with some like gas creatively. They want a shooter. Uh, a Hollywood Reporter reported this as well. They said that... Uh, one source from the film told Hollywood Reporter, there's not enough time to work with new ideas. Uh, they just want somebody who's going to come in and shoot the thing they've already got. So they don't want a director who's got any real gumption. They want somebody who's just making a paycheck. Not a lot of confidence for the new Jurassic World feature. Maybe it'll be something cool. Before we jump on to some Disney news, I did want to ask Andy, just 35,000 foot view, just for a second, you and me right here on the podcast, what young actor or actress do you think is actively being pursued for a role in the new Jurassic World movies? Because I bet it's going to be two or three films, right, with an option. I bet they're going for somebody like Jenna Ortega, right? Like they want a little bit of that Jenna Ortega smoke in the new movie. Maybe they're going to somebody like, uh, like Tom Holland. <laughs> A.O.A. DeBeery. A.O.A. DeBeery. Yeah. <laughs> and Rachel Snow, yeah, from Bottoms. They'll, they'll both be in it. It's perfect. Uh, I don't know who they're going to get. Any, any uh, yeah, I don't know. Any picks? 
Yeah, no one, no one really jumps out at me. Everyone you named is a little bit, maybe a little bit too old. I, I think they're looking like e- Harris either, Dickinson, they're either go- maybe. They're looking for either a real young young cast like Tom Holland when he first joined the MCU in 2017. Yeah, or or maybe something someone that's a little bit more of a of a veteran and can kind of be a, a heartthrob. So I'm not sure who yes. who that would be. You're right gonna need, now, but um, there's a lot yeah. of directions you can go. You're gonna need some old folks in there to like help sell the ancient nature of the dinosaurs. Maybe Samuel Jackson. Well, no, he already did Jurassic Park. I don't. I don't know. Anyway, 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 we're not fan casting the Jurassic World movie, but I do know that Universal is having a time with it, and it seems like they just need somebody to come in and shoot the thing. Don't know what that means creatively. You judge for yourself. Meanwhile, uh, bigger studios, all right, more exciting studios. Uh, Disney has copped the Taylor Swift movie for Disney Plus. Uh, the Eras Tour concert, but it's not just the Eras Tour movie. It's it plus other stuff because this is a thing Taylor new Swift songs. does, right? The t- yes, the new songs. Andy, what do you know about this? Uh, so in the last Dern- Disney earnings call, a uh, whole bunch of news. This is just a part of it. The Taylor Swift Eras Tour will be exclusively streaming on Disney's Disney Plus. Um, I'm not sure when, but there are going to be five new songs in, included, and so this is part of what how people how Taylor Swift keeps people buying her, her the same tour is that she adds some new content every time, um, and the fans just just love it and they're happy happy to pay. They paid a whopping seventy five million dollars for the the rights. Uh, some other. Big Disney updates from the earnings call. Moana, the Moana sequel is going to be hitting theaters this November. We thought that that was going to be way off, um, but this fall it's it's coming out. Um, Some other film announcements, Frozen 3, Toy Story 5, and allegedly two Star Wars movies in 2026. I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, Name a better duo, Disney and canceling Star Wars (laughs) projects. Um, Disney also made a huge inve- investment, $1.5 billion into Epic Games, uh, the owners of, of Fortnite. And so that, that means all your favorite Disney characters and Marvel characters and Pixar are going to be available to buy as skins in Fortnite. That's a huge creative collaboration for them. A lot going on on Disney uh, the, this last earnings call. It's true. Uh, as a video gamer, I'd love to talk more about Disney and investing in Epic Games, but honestly, I don't have many hot takes about that. Um, I do think the Moana sequel is kind of goofy because it wasn't ever supposed to be a film. It's supposed to be a Disney Plus show. And then they've just conveniently pivoted to, hey, this is now a full movie and we're releasing a first look announcement. It's like, oh boy, so let me get this straight. This was supposed to be like what, six to eight hours of content probably? And now you've reduced it down to probably likely a two-hour feature. Like, hopefully that's good. Um, I, I would love to say Disney's never pulled that off, but Toy Story 2 is supposed to be a direct-to-DVD feature, and it ended up being a huge box office boom for them. Obviously, it's a long time ago. I'm just saying they have produced projects in the past and then pivoted to theatrical features, and it has worked. So, you know, did we'll see as for two star wars movies in 2026 dude there's no way i would if i was a betting man i'd put money on it they don't do it there's no way there's no way yeah and those two are the mandalorian and grogu and whatever daisy ridley kind of reboot episode 10 is like yeah is allegedly in in development um I don't think those are ever going to happen. They they continually push those dates back, and uh, I don't. I just don't think it's going to happen. I know. Uh, one more bit of news before we jump into Argyle. Uh, the Oscars have announced a new category. 
this was kind of a surprise. Um, we thought that maybe the Oscars would be seeking something flashy, something big to get people to tune in and watch the ceremony, right? Watch the presentation every year. Um, they've added something, which is good. Uh, good to have more recognition in the film industry. But it's not what people expect. Andy, what is this new category? Uh, achievement in casting which they haven't specified exactly what that means. Uh, one of the Oscars, uh, one of the categories that has been uh, thought about th- that they need to introduce is for kind of ensemble cast. So something like an, an Ocean's Eleven or something where you have a, a big cast or where, where you don't have just one main protagonist or main character. We, we might have four or five people. Um, people people have, have thought that you should have an award like this. The BAFTAs have this, the, the British basically the the British version of the Oscars. Um, but this just says casting, so I don't know if, if that means for an ensemble or just you put together a really good um, cast list, you know, something like Oppenheimer. Like Oppenheimer isn't an ensemble piece, but it has incredible ca- casting from top to bottom. And so it's they haven't released the rules or what they really mean by this, but the thinking is that it will kind of be for ensemble cast. This is the first new award introduced since uh the best animated feature which was in 2002 so it's been over 20 years since we've had a new category um a lot of people still waiting around for things like best stunt or best voice acting or best motion capture or or performance capture uh so it's not a surprise but uh like i said a lot of people are waiting for things like like best stunt sequence and things like that yeah, I think adding to the Oscars is a good thing, but I think this is like low key, not a great theme. Like, not that casting shouldn't be awarded; it should. You think of really, really brilliant performances in the past, and often that can come down to something as simple as a genuinely sharp casting director picking, like a cast, a casting decision through the eye of a needle and placing somebody somewhere that really matters. You think of like Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man, right? Like, would never have become what it did without him being that specific character at that time in history. History. Like, I think on occasion there can be a cast that's such a great pick that there should absolutely be an award for it. That being said, it's not very flashy. Like I said, if, if I could have this or like stunts, I'd probably take stunts. Like, I think there are probably some other areas that maybe are worth considering. Not that this isn't good, but uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. Like, it's, it's fine. This is a fine addition to the Oscars. It doesn't hurt it. Uh, it doesn't really help it either, I don't think. Any hot takes before we jump into Argyle, Andy? It just makes a long service already longer. And stunt sequence would be a great addition because it allows you to pull in popular films because what's going to have a- stunts in action? It's going to be more kind of mainstream blockbusters. And so that that would be a way to pull in mainstream films without ha- having to try kind of make exceptions for them in the, uh, the other categories. So uh, we'll see. That, that category will not be introduced until 2026, so we have a couple of years to implement uh, this new Oscar. That's right. Uh, stunningly marketable, the stunts category would be, but no, that's not what the Oscars does. They're doing their own thing. Speaking of stunningly marketable, we've got to talk about our first feature. Uh, this is a weird one. This is a weird one because people have been split on whether it is what it looks like in the trailer or maybe it's something deeper. There's been rumors, there's been speculation, and director Matthew Vaughn uh, has finally arrived with Argyle to clear it all up. I'm going to be taking the summary on this, so please excuse my clumsy delivery. The, music, the movie is Argyle. 
So, Argyle is a two and a half hour spy romp. Just a little shorter than two and a half hours. The movie stars Bryce Dallas Howard as a uh, young, affable, well, not that young, actually. Let's let's say indoorsy sort of writer. Maybe a little shy, uh, She's but she's got a, a successful book series uh, called Argyle uh, based on a, uh, a spy, a, a world-renowned globetrotter that looks an awful lot like Henry Cavill. Uh, Argyle is a fiction of our writer's imagination. Ellie Conway is her name. Sorry, I was just struggling to come up with it. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a fiction of Ellie's imagination, or at least she thinks so, up until one day when she's on a train desperate to get out of the city, get out of her own head, and she meets Sam Rockwell, a very real spy, who tells her that the events in her Argyle series are not just fiction, but are real and actually happen, and that there's a whole organization out there, a, a, a dark sector, deep op, foreign nation, whatever, led by Brian Cranston, uh, called the division who wants to get Ellie's next chapter from her and find out what's going to happen so they can get the nuclear codes or acquire the, the the device that they need to change the world and make the bomb that'll blow up the whatever right it is a meditation on all things spy and espionage and spycraft it's much like James Bond it's actually why Vaughn wanted uh, uh, Henry Cavill because he was in the running for James Bond it was very much supposed to be kind of this thoughtful thing uh, but with all the flash and flair of a Matthew Vaughn project a la Kingsman right uh, Kingsman the Secret Service uh, I watched Argyle I'm curious to hear what you think Andy uh, what did you think about Argyle so I've heard a lot of kind of mixed reviews, mostly kind of negative about this. When I'm with the op- open minds, because it's got a lot of stars uh, that I'm interested in. Of course, Henry Cavill, Dua Lipa, John Cena is in it. Uh, it's a great cast. Sam Rockwell, Samuel L. Jackson, everyone you want to see in a movie. Um, and I was kind of with it for about halfway. It, it's a little bit of an action comedy uh, kind of fish out of water thing going on. Uh, but then it gets really kind of weird like halfway through and by the end, like act three, it is so bizarre that I, I'm just blown away that anyone allowed this on screen. Like who read this script? What executive took a look at this and said, yeah, that this is the one, this is the thing. Um, man, n- none of this works. And like the spy th- stuff doesn't work. The action doesn't work. The comedy doesn't work. The reveals are eye rolling. They're not surprises at all. It doesn't seem like the stars are on board. They're they're all playing these kind of one-dimensional characters. Stuff that's funny is not supposed to be funny. Effects look bad. This is a $200 million movie, and somehow it looks awful. Um, so we got a lot to get, get into. There are some good, good things about it, like most movies, but, um, man, it, it was a lot worse than I thought. <laughs> You know, Argyle's been in a frustrating place, I think, in, in theaters, at least here in the U.S., because we've all seen the same trailer for Argyle for, like, four months. It, it has been in theaters. We have seen it so many times. I've been saying for months this movie desperately needs a new trailer. And it hasn't gotten one, which is weird, because the trailer, I think, probably tested well in test audiences, because it shows the whole movie, right? It tells you a lot about what's going to be in it. Uh, it teases up some some good people who are going to be in it, right? Some good casting, maybe some fun ideas. Henry Cavill's god-awful haircut. Um, And I (laughs) thought maybe that this would turn into something bigger. In fact, we just talked about, I think, on the show last week, there was a rumor that the trailer only shows like the first half hour of the movie and that there's so much more there. I mean, it even teases, right? Once you know the secret, the trailer's got it in big font on there. Like, you, it's it's a big deal going to see what Argyle is. And it's almost advertised more like a blind box feature. Like, you don't really know what you're getting into. So buy a ticket now and come see. 
and it is like really frustrating to have to get on here and tell you what you're getting is bad. And, and they, I think they knew it was bad and they ran with it because it cost Apple $200 million and they're not going to get out and say, Hey, this is a dud of course. But I think they gave Matthew Vaughn a lot of money to do something fun with this Jason Fuchs script. Uh, he certainly had his fun with it. Um, I, but boy, it is not better for it and I'm not better for watching it. It's, it's a big miss. So let's talk about why let's talk about what doesn't work in the movie. Maybe some things that do right. And ultimately whether or not it is worth anybody's time. Cause I, I do wonder if there's an audience out there for, for Argyle. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really not so sure. So let's start, I think, with kind of the frame of the trailer, the thing everybody would know if you've seen this. This is kind of what I've just explained previous. But uh, Ellie Conway is a writer, right? She's struggling to come up with the ending for her next book. She takes a trip out of town. She meets Sam Rockwell, who's a spy. He tells her, hey, all the stuff you're writing is really true. We got to get out of here and hit the road. Bring that fuzzy cat along with you. And when we'll do our thing and then they dive into the world of espionage to uh, meet people like Samuel L. Jackson and Brian Cranston and, and, and hopefully get the next chapter out of Ellie and find out who the real Argyle is. Already on its face, this is a confusing plot. I mean, it seems yeah. straight up, but I mean, just just the idea of that Argyle isn't a real person, but they are. And we don't know who it is, even though it looks like Henry Cavill, but it may not be. Is already kind of strange. And the movie for like the first third, I think, actually kind of threads the needle. I really, for the first act of this movie, I thought, you know what? Maybe this is doing something clever. Maybe this is doing something unique. Maybe this is doing something different. And it's really frustrating to find out that like, it so isn't. It, 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 it starts to reach for that and then it just falls off and falls into this like terrifying rut of boredom and like placidity that doesn't, doesn't doesn't produce any any real sensation of fun even the stuff that's supposed to be fun just falls flat because i think like the movie tries to prop up all of these goals on its characters that that we have to find out who argyle is and we have to find out if this is true and is sam rockwell wheel or is he just being a spy who's lying to ellie conway like it doesn't give anybody any good motivations and by the time you get to like the third act, you kind of just don't care about anybody. You end up being really detached from your characters on screen. It's difficult for me to care about what's happening with Sam Rockwell. It's difficult for me to care about what's happening with the cat in the cat pack because I've seen it in trailers for four months. Did you have the same sensation about this? Like I just could not have cared less about these people. N- yeah, a- absolutely. I I was I was kind of bored through a lot of it. I I was with it for like the first act. Uh, it is an interesting start. I think Sam Rockwell is the best actor in this movie. Uh, he's a lot of fun. He's putting in a lot of work to this character that has no right to deserve it. He it's a lot of new nuance. It's a lot of fun. He's he's trying to make all of it work. The action, the comedy, the romance. He's the only person I'm I'm convinced by. I feel like Bryce Dallas Howard is really miscast because this is kind of an action comedy and she's fine as long as she doesn't have to really do the, the action and or the the comedy like she was fine in, in jurassic world where she just kind of has to run, run and scream uh just kind of miscast in this and like i said everyone else is just hired be hired because of who they are and you instantly recognize john cena and henry cavill and samuel l jackson and they, they're just phoning it in on on set for like a day maybe two uh mostly but but initially the initial plot where it's like oh you're a, uh, people are after you i'm a spy i'm going to protect you we got to get away and they're kind of on the run for a little bit this part works 
but when we get to some of the, the reveals that happen early on, it's just kind of eye rolling and it's not convincing. And it reaches like Austin Powers level absurdity, but not in a good way. Yeah, it's a, it's an odd script from Jason Fuchs. Like, because when you're writing a movie, I should, what's the best way to frame this? When you're watching a movie about a writer who's struggling to write something new, like you have to remember that the script you're seeing was written by somebody and the screenplay is written by somebody. So in a lot of ways, it's a writer writing about their own struggles, right? And like, I thought about that watching this. This is kind of a meta commentary from Fuchs about writing spies and why it's difficult and why there has to be all these double crosses and triple crosses and secret agent and super secret agent and, and secret organizations. It gets complicated and it gets messy. And I feel like Vaughn approached this script with a big budget and big ideas and a big cast and big goals for, for like what he was going to build with it. And I feel like visually, a lot of that plays good. If there's sequences in Argyle that you could basically watch on mute or with just, just music and you'd be like, yeah, okay, all right, we're in this palace and we're going somewhere and there's this big flashy CGI thing. Like that stuff would work, but like, boy, you just don't care by the time you get there, you know, like, cause the script is too loose with, I think how characters interact with one another. And, and, and there's a couple of good surprises, but I do think for what it's worth, like the $200 million this film cost is on screen. At least you could see it. You could see it in its casting. You can see where? it. In it's where big, big <laughs> effects. Where, where uh, you could certainly see it in his music, which I thought was interesting. Uh, one of the odd things about this, uh, Argyle is the only film uh, that has the rights to the Beatles song Now and Then, uh, which is prominently featured in the movie. That's that new Beatles track that came out like two months ago when everybody was like, oh yeah, the Beatles got one more song thanks to Peter Jackson isolating John Lennon's vocals. And this is the song they never released. Yeah, Vaughn locked down the rights to that like a year ago because he was working with Giles Martin, oh, wow. who was the son of the Beatles producer. And that's the song prominently featured in here. And let me tell you, even watching it in theaters, You'd think I would have had some feeling of elation of listening to like a final Beatles track, but no, it's it's kind of a B-side and it's really not that much of a banger for your $200 million film. Um, kind of an odd thing, but like I said, like clearly they, they knew they had money and they were going to spend it by God. They were going to get Samuel Jackson watching the Lakers in Argyle. Um, I, I just don't think it, it doesn't channel into anything remotely interesting. You know, Apple has really deep pockets. They can play by different rules. But this is three films in a row that they've come out that have kind of bombed. Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon, and now Argyle. And they're spending, you know, $200 million. And the studios love it. You know, it's good for the business. It, it's good for theaters to have something to, to come out because we are in a really dry season right now. Uh, but they really, they need to get some traditional theater executives uh, in there at Apple to be like, okay, we, we're not going to spend $200 million on a movie that comes out in February. Like that is summer blockbuster kind of spending. Let, let's pare this down. Let's tighten up this script. Th there is something here. There are some ideas that on, on paper could work. It's the execution that is so unbelievably bad. A and man, I just couldn't believe like in the, in the third act, it, I just, I was like, I, I, I can't believe that this, is actually happening right now. It's only February. This might be a, a Razzie-worthy film. 
Yeah, like I like I said, I, I wanted to give it credit, like, oh, well, maybe it's being self-aware. And like it kind of is, but it also like falls on the same grenades that so many like cheesy lame spy movies do. That like it ends up being more of a cheesy lame spy movie than a meditation on cheesy lame spy movies. Like it ends up falling for the trap I think it's trying to set on its audiences. And I it just doesn't come together into anything really stellar. I, I do want to say for what it's worth, there are some things that I think are good in Argyle. A, a lot of the kinetic action, the hand to hand choreograph stuff is pretty good, right? Like Sam Rockwell fighting a bunch of dudes on a train while a camera's like whipping around. Like that's fun. That's a good time. Um, additionally, I think there's some decent laughs. Like it's, it's doesn't all work, but every once in a while you'll get something goofy. There's a great, it's so stupid is a scene in the third act where Brian Cranston's like trying to watch these, this, this whole scenario happen in the smoke filled room on a screen and the camera cuts to him and he's like, I can't see anything. And it just cuts back to the screen. It's just solid smoke. Like funny. I laughed stupid, you know, not all bangers, but also like there's a lot of bad CGI. There's a lot of bad one-liners that don't land. There's a lot of time when you're going to be checking your watch or thinking you should go to the bathroom. Tragically <laughs> underdeveloped Argyle, I think, or, or so overdeveloped. Long. Yeah. It's two hours, 20 minutes. Um, some of the action reminds me of something that I've seen, of things I've seen in like James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Uh, there's a, a sequence in there where Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn has a big fight scene down a hallway and there's like animation happening on top of the actual a action. And it's yes. an amazing blend of, of action and style and animation. And I feel like this is trying to do some of that same stuff and it just doesn't work because it looks so bad. Yes. And it's just, yeah, it's so un, un, unconvincing but if you want a comparison of what it's trying to do it's something like that style of action it just is not executed very well yeah also worth mentioning uh when that scene happens it's birds of prey right that that big harley fight scene with the flowers i'm thinking of i think birds of prey the suicide um, squad the suicide squad that's i'm pretty sure that's in like the first half hour of the movie like so it, it it's more of a flourish whereas in this it's like supposed to be i think one of the big numbers and it's like oh boy this isn't landing the way i think it's supposed to um any other thoughts andy before we wrap up our review on argyle uh no i think i'm ready andy would you recommend argyle i'm gonna give a rare hard pass oh uh, the skip, rare hard skip. pass do not do not watch uh this is going to be coming to apple tv plus at some point uh, skip it. I wouldn't even say save it for streaming. It is so long. It's so boring. Just look up the the highlights in six months if if you're that interested in it. Man, it is such a miss. It is beyond what what I thought. It might be the worst movie of the year, and we're only two months in. I yeah into into the new year. Andy and I have a loose uh, best of and worst of the year like list running throughout the year, and I think we both need to get on a slap argyle on there somewhere. Uh, it's not great, folks. Would would pass, I think. Andy's right. Like if it was on streaming, I'd say maybe it's just too long. God, it's nearly three hours. Like I know it's two hours twenty, but like come on, you're not far off. Even if you're gonna take the time, you're gonna get bored. Like it's it's it's. I, 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 God, I so wanted to get on here and tell you that it's subversive or it's a cult classic or yeah, it's only got a 32 on rotten, but that's only because a third of audiences really get it, man. But like, no dude, it's, it's bad. It's bad. Argyle's not great. It's a bummer. I'm really hoping Vaughn 
changes directions here. I was telling Andy before we got started that like it seems like his intention is to make a few different franchises and then have them all cross over into one, right? Do a couple Kingsman things, maybe do something over here, some kind of cool mashup movie. And normally I love the idea of that, but in the case of Argyle, my man, stay away. Just act like this one didn't happen. Move it along. I, I it, You know, it'll be fun to watch Henry Cavill show up in another movie someday if he ever does end up tying them together somehow. But I can't say, well, any of us will be better for it. And it certainly won't make me want to go back and revisit Argyle. So with that, we should move on to some more exciting things. Something to look forward to, right? Not looking back, looking ahead. And we can do that when we look at the big game, right? Andy, what do we call this segment? It's time for the trailer park. So we have a few big trailers to look at. And then we have a big Super Bowl trailer dump uh sorry big game trailer dump big game uh, yeah th- right that that we're gonna go through but i'm gonna start off with a quiet place day one so this is coming out in june 28th this summer uh this is a prequel film in the a quiet place universe uh takes place before the first film in the first film we start kind of in a post-apocalyptic era where the aliens have already crash landed taken over earth and this family is surviving. And so A Quiet Place Day 1 is going to start when uh, the aliens arrive. They crash land. And, of course, these are the aliens that you have to be quiet around because they hear anything they hear, they attack. And so that's the whole gimmick of the first film is, is just trying to be as silent as possible. And this is where these things crash. This is stars uh, Lupita Nyong'o and Jaimon Hansu, who's in A Quiet Place uh, Part 2, sorry, the, the sequel. Um, and so Lupita Nyong'o is going to head this film. It looks like it's in the city. The other two have been kind of rural settings, so it's going to be interesting to be in a big city populated thing. Uh, look, looks kind of kind of scary. It's a bit of the same thing every time with these movies, but uh, they work and people go see them. Yeah, uh, I think Quiet Place Day One looks fine. Honestly, I wasn't that warm on the first Quiet Place, and then we went and saw the second one for the show, and I thought it was all right. But it's always just kind of been a gimmick series. I've never really thought a lot about it. It reminds me of like Bird Box on Netflix, right? Where it's like one of your senses is disabled. Like I just haven't been that rattled by them. I don't know if anybody really is. But I think the fact that this series is getting a third one speaks to how successful they've been. And if anything, I think this has the potential to maybe have some gas. Like we've got John Krasinski out of the directing chair. Not that he was bad. He was fine. I just think it's the third movie. Probably time for for a different voice. That's fair. It's a bit of a prequel. Doesn't have many characters from the follow-up. And let's remember, Lupita Nyong'o infamously snubbed for an Oscar nom for a performance in Us. I can't believe she didn't get a, a nom for that movie. It's insane. So her, her coming back to horror, her doing anything, I stand. I'm here for it. Uh, Andy, I should have worked this out before we jumped on the show here. Do you want to alternate trailers? Do you want to take the next one? And I'll jump down. Where are you at? Uh, why don't you take the next one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is the trailer for Long Legs. Uh, this got dropped by Neon in a very sneaky post just a few days ago. A few days ago. Last week, I think. Uh, it's from Oz Perkins. Uh, this is a really, really niche horror movie that we don't know a lot about. Uh, our trailer is odd. Uh, it features what appears to be a number of women in 
dark, dimly lit scenarios being crept on with long, slow camera pans and long, slow zooms, a couple music stings, a woman in a library, a weird shadow on a wall that's upside down shot, some weird hieroglyphs, and then boom, logo, long legs. Uh, not a whole lot to say about it. The movie stars Micah Monroe and Nicolas Cage. That's about all I know. I, Nick Cage did actually say in an interview a little bit about his character, but you know what? Right here on off script, I'm going to keep it to myself because you don't need to hear it. I think I, low key, it's kind of a spoiler and I wish I hadn't heard it. So it's clearly a oh, less, you know, the better kind of horror. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you about it, Andy, after the show. It's clearly less, you know, you better, less, you know, the better kind of horror. I love a horror trailer. It's all tone and no plot. Andy, what do you think of the Long Legs trailer? Man, this looks like some creepy stuff. This is a, it's a bit of a murder mystery, or it's like a serial killer procedural. Uh, they play detectives going after some sort of killer. It reminds me a little bit of Zodiac. It's got a little bit of that Zodiac vibe. And I love that Micah Monroe is in here. She's, of course, in... Oh, gosh, I'm bl- I'm blanking on the her big breakout. It is follows. Is it not It Follows? Um, yeah, yeah, It Follows. It, it is, yeah, from, yeah, from 2014. And she... She's been in some smaller roles since then, but she hasn't really hit it as a star, so I'm glad to see her in a big summer movie. This is a July 12th release with Nicolas Cage. This looks really creepy. I'm totally into it, really excited about it. Yeah. Moving on, now now comes our Super Bowl trailer dump. I'm going to list off what we're going to be covering, and then we'll get into it. So these were the big releases uh, from the big game, uh, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, Twisters, Deadpool and Wolverine and Wicked. Uh, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, we we got a new longer trailer, kind of shows a little bit more of the story. This comes out May 10th, so uh, end of this or beginning of the summer. I was totally into this trailer. I, I'm a fan of, of the Apes uh, films. I was a fan of, of the Matt Reeves, the last trilogy that he did. I really like the look of this. Uh, it looks like there's a lot of good voice acting and th- there's a lot of drama in it. Uh, I'm totally excited for it. Yeah, that- I think this looks okay. I, I, I've talked about it in the past. I'm not warm on the play, on the Apes movies. I only saw about half of the one with James Franco in it, which was like two or three Ape movies back. I didn't see any of the other ones. But watching this, I'm I'm reminded of how I felt watching like the Avatar two trailer. It's all it's a lot of CGI for sure, but there's live action mixed in, and it's imaginative. It's something different, like. Uh, okay, all right. I, I like this trailer more than I like the first one. As somebody who's not warm on the eight movies, all right, there might there might be some smoke here. There might there might be something I want to see. That's how I feel. Uh, I should talk about uh, uh, Twisters. God, we've got a trailer for the follow up to Twister, of course, uh, starring. This isn't Dakota Johnson. Glenn, Who is this? Glenn Powell, D- Daisy Edgar Jones. Daisy Edgar Jones. Yes, of course. Dej uh, and. Anthony Ramos, yeah, and the follow-up to uh, Twister about a couple of Oklahoma slash Panhandle, Texas, uh, uh, hurricane Twister weather followers, storm chasers, that's the term, storm chasers, uh, of course, who chase down a storm, and then it all goes wrong. Let me tell you, Andy, I hadn't actually watched this full trailer before we started recording this episode. I'd only watched about half of it on my phone on mute. And I said, I don't actually watch the whole thing. And about halfway through this trailer, there's a whole twist involving like nanobot drones that they send up into a, into, into a wind stream that I did not expect. And I sure will probably have some impact on the end of the film, but uh, looks okay. I mean, big, big CGI, I guess. Aren't you scared? Aren't you scared of the CGI weather? What do you think, Andy? 
so have you seen the the original tw- uh, Twister from 96 no. 97 so no, it was a didn't. huge hit when when it came out um great cast Dennis Quaid Lord I think it's Laura Dern uh no or Laura Linney Bill Paxton. one of those Bill Paxton Bill right? Paxton yeah, yeah, yeah. and I thought it Philip was like Seymour Hoffman it's fine it was uh yeah it was it was a huge hit big CGI thing um, kind Hunt. of a, a classic. Uh, yeah, Helen Hunt. Thank you. <laughs> um, I knew it was one of those blonde white women from the 90s. So yeah. it was a big hit. Big hit. And, uh, it looks like they're looking to reclaim that magic. Glenn Powell, who who uh, is just, he fits this glove of being the charismatic loose cannon so well. He's Tyler o- Owens. He's like Dr. Tornado. He's running out there, drinking a... I'm not gonna say drinking a beer, getting in his truck. No, he's getting out there, getting getting excited to go chase down these storms. He said, "You know, you, you don't face your fears, you ride them." It's a great line. And then Daisy Edgar Jones is—I uh, don't know—the sidekick. She's also excited about storm chasing. It's got a lot of summer fun. It's got—it's got the Glenn Powell charisma. I think it's gonna be a hit. Yeah, make this movie like ninety minutes, and you're at PG thirteen. Your your money. Yeah, I agree. It's got the. Yeah. Also, real quick, Glenn Powell. Somebody pointed out there's no way Glenn Powell would be as big as he is if Army Hammer hadn't been out as a cannibal, which might be true. Actually, <laughs> like when you really think about him, like that might be true, man. If Army Hammer's career hadn't taken a nosedive, I don't know where Glenn Powell would be. But anyway, two more trailers. Andy, you want to take this one? Deadpool and Wolverine. So we finally saw the long-awaited teaser to uh, Dead. What is what was called Deadpool three? Of, it's officially being called Deadpool and Wolverine. This has a July release date. It's going to be a huge. What is this? July twenty-six, end of the summer. Probably go out the summer with a bang. We don't really see a whole lot. We see Wade Wilson having a birthday, and then the TVA, which is the Time Variant Authority from uh, the Loki TV show, shows up, brings him out, and uh, introduces him to the multiverse. And we don't really see a whole lot of plot. Uh, we see some action, and then we see the shadow of one Wolverine. We don't actually see Hugh Jackman. Some people think it's not Hugh Jackman. Uh, so I was not very excited about this this trailer, and I, I think the internet is loving it, and I think it's going to be a, a big hit based on on that. But uh, comic book films, I feel, are just getting more and more watered down, and there, there's so much fan service, and there, there's so much key jangling, and the, the, there's so much to keep up with. I, I don't re- really know. I think it's probably going to be a hit regardless, but uh, I, I'm not sold on this just yet. Key jangling is such a great term, like for how I feel watching this. Like, I just feel like I'm being, I'm a child who's like, being shown like here comes the airplane eat your peas you know like it's (laughs) honestly real uh, honest to god like hot take i'm glad this is the last one please don't make any more deadpools wrap it up with three add add the wolverine misnomer it's fine you're good dude i don't i don't need any more of these things like the fact that we got three movies out of ryan reynolds making these is great it's solid you can sell the dvd pack at walmart right three for 7.99 i'm good I'm 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 good with this. I'm good with this being the end of it. Please don't make any more <laughs> Marvel. Please don't come calling. Uh, they'll be fine. 
Uh, one more thing to talk about. One more trailer. Uh, we got to talk about the first look at Wicked. Uh, so this is John Chu's new feature, right? Uh, it's an adaptation of the Broadway musical Wicked, of course, which is set in the Land of Oz as a prequel to The Wizard of Oz. A uh, whole lot of CGI in this trailer. Whole lot of big show. Whole lot of Ariana Grande. Um, but I feel like people have been watching it and feeling like it is uh, lacking visually, right? It looks a little flat. Looks a little CGI heavy. I saw somebody said this looks like an SNL sketch. Uh, <laughs> Andy, what do you think? And, and also worth mentioning, uh, this is A, a musical, which is very poorly advertised in this trailer. And B, it is part one of two. It is not the whole play. It is simply the first half before intermission or wherever they decide to split and or expand the film. Andy, uh, what do you think of the Wicked teaser? Man, this does not look good. I'm not uh, familiar with this musical, but I do remember when it was a huge hit, which would have been like 20 years ago, like 2004, 2005. It was it was like the way we, people talk about Hamilton now or were like five years ago. It was a huge musical. Everyone knew it. Everyone knew the, the songs and everything. Massive hit. It seems like they've kind of waited a little bit too long to do this. Like I said, 20 years af- after it was a huge deal. It does not look good. It looks really cheap. There's again, there's no singing. There's a lot of songs, but you don't see it from our actual actors. Uh, Ariana Grande plays Glinda, and Cynthia Revo as Alphaba, the the two lead witches in this. I'm not super familiar with with the story. This looks bad, and it's in two parts. This is w- Wicked Part One, w- Wicked Dead Reckoning Part One, and right. it, it people. From what I had heard from people who are familiar, they're like, it's that, that second act is, is kind of a slog. Like, there's no reason for this to be two films. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of see. It's slated for November release, so a big Thanksgiving thing. Thanksgiving gets crowded. There's usually like five or six releases, um, and, it, and usually it's a bloodbath. One thing emerges triumphant, and then there's four movies that just get slaughtered. Yeah, uh, I think Wicked looks fine i guess i like i'll bet they come out this is this is the first look they'll come out with a full trailer probably work in some of the music that people know from the musical like it'll get there those broadway people got money right like uh we'll see i, I don't know and also also i should i should go on record saying that i am 95 percent sure it's a part one now i'm scrolling through imdb and can't find anything that says that but like i feel like they've been talking about this for a while john chu's been working on a two-parter series after in the heights it's fine. Anyway, we should talk about our next film. We should move on to Greener Pastures. No no wicked pun intended. Uh, Andy's going to be taking the summary on this one. Really excited to talk about it. Uh, yeah, really excited to talk about it. Andy, uh, you ready? I'm ready. Uh, Andy, take it away. <laughs> Lisa Frankenstein. So this is the latest horror comedy from writer Diablo Cody. Famous for Juno. Tully and Young Adult. Uh, that's what she's most been most known for. This stars Catherine Newton as Lisa, a teenager in 1989. This is a very 80s film who's in the wrong generation. She's lost. She hangs out in the cemetery. Um, she has recently experienced a family tragedy. Uh, her father has remarried married after the passing of her mother, and she lives with this kind of awful st- stepmother. It's a little bit of a Cinderella setup, honestly, and uh, her annoying sister named Taffy. She's an outcast at school. She's the weird kid no one really likes. Uh, one day she kind of wishes for, for true love to happen to her, and lightning strikes the graveyard, and lo and behold, a lover emerges from from the the grave 
whom uh, she partners up with, tries to kind of help out, bring back to life, and who helps her kind of discover more about her. It's a coming-of-age story. Uh, there's a lot of laughs. A lot of it works. Some of it doesn't quite, but uh, I think overall it's a lot of fun. Zach, what do you think of Lisa Frankenstein? So I went to Lisa Frankenstein with low expectations. I did not expect a lot of this movie. And and I want to say for the record that Lisa Frankenstein, as of last night when I checked this, is sitting at the almighty, the peak, the most interesting possible review score for any film goer on Rotten Tomatoes. 50%. Exactly 50 which means you either love it or you hate it. It is perfectly in the middle as critics divided, right? Right down the split. Is Lisa Frankenstein a hit or is it a bomb? And I'm excited to say here on the podcast, I think it's a little bit of both, which may put it in cult classic status. I don't know. Time will tell. There's more, I think, that works in Lisa Frankenstein that doesn't work. The stuff that doesn't work is often painful. The stuff that does work is often great. And the reason it's painful is twofold. A, because you have a script from Diablo Cody, who is a controversial writer, who writes off the cuff, who writes loose, one-liners that sometimes land great, other one-liners that don't land at all. And B, you have a first-time feature director in Zelda Williams, Robin Williams' daughter. Uh, this is her first big feature it is 101 minutes and sometimes that feels like a stretch sometimes it feels like it's struggling to keep up with the runtime other times it moves great and has really bouncy pacing and a lot of like fun sequences that are really good it can be funny and and tense at times other times it can be droll and boring but ultimately i think more works than doesn't in lisa frankenstein and i'm excited to talk about it because like i said i went in with low expectations i didn't think it'd be all that much i think i came out liking it more than i didn't i think lisa frankenstein might be good stuff yeah, it it's surprisingly sweet. Most of it works. Like I said, the the setting is really fun. It feels it has that feel of like a Ferris Bueller's Day Off or Nightmare on Elm Street. Like it really has that that I don't know that that sheen that uh like the style, the songs. I thought this was a musical, by the way, and it's not. It it features a lot of '80s classics, um, kind of reorchestrated uh, in different ways. Um, but it's not a musical, which I totally thought uh it was there's a lot of jokes in this uh it's one of these things kind of a joke a minute kind of thing uh most of them work most of them land like i I laughed quite a good bit some of them don't as much uh part of it has to do with if you see it in a good crowd it'll probably laugh a little bit more my theater was a little bit empty um my only other big criticism is it just kind of seems a little small it feels like a play a lot of times because there's only like two or three people on screen it's lisa frankenstein with her family it's her with the creature the monster a lot of one-on-one there's just two or three people and it just seems so small and it, it almost feels like it would have done better as a streaming release release this would have been a hit on on netflix or amazon prime yeah i think going to theaters was an odd choice um i think they really wanted to get some some they thought they had some bluster out of Diablo Cody's title, especially with, I think, the rise in, like, Megan's body memes in the last year. I feel like we've seen a lot of those. Um, so I think they really wanted to try to push that. I remember seeing that in the ads, like, from the from the writer of Diablo, of, of Megan's body, right? Yeah. And it's got Cole Sprouse coming hot off Riverdale. Catherine Newton's a big talent up and coming. It's 80s. It's retro. It's got that Stranger Things vibe. Like, why not, right? Like, let's see what we can do. And I think, like, in... All of those aspects of the movie works. I think the places where it suffers are, like I said, A, Diablo Cody's writing usually works, but like not always. There's de- there's definitely some one-liners that are that fall flat. There's some awkward sequences in here, like like awkward 80s teens would be. And number two, like 
Zelda Williams, um, while I think she actually has a pretty good knack for editing and pacing, I think she struggles with shot composition. Like, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that just looks fine. Um, When you've got a room full of, like, kitschy 80s decor and uh, a a double double French door closet with... uh, uh, like film stuff on it and a big poster of the moon that your, your guy comes out of. Like, I would think that would all be a little bit more flashy and it ends up feeling a lot like a set, which is fine. But like I said, I think that's a, that's just a first time director thing that, that gets worked out over time. Zelda's done a lot of uh, music videos and a couple shorts. So I think this is something she grows with and learns. Meanwhile, uh, the movie is held down by Catherine Newton, who does a fantastic job as Lisa. Uh, she she puts the whole movie on her back. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Ellie Fisher in eighth grade, and Cole Sprouse, uh, who plays the creature, who has. Um, I'm gonna I'm just gonna comfortably say no lines in the film. Uh, he does not talk. Really. Lots of grunting. Yeah, lots lots of basically lines. Like you you're moaning lines, but our monster does not have a. Well, there's a reason he can't talk. I won't get into it, but. Um, he, the two of them, I think, do actually a pretty good job of making it work alongside like a supporting cast who's small but surprisingly sincere. Like, like Andy said, more like a play almost. Yeah, the the smallness works in some instances. The family stuff is funny. Carla uh, Gugino is kind of the terrible stepmom who she she does a lot of scene chewing in the movie. There's some funny gags about like you know eighties. Big hair. She's got so much hair in this. You know, hairspray. Tan. There's a joke about tanning beds. Uh, there's just a lot of that '80s stuff. That you know, they're they're shoving notes into people's lockers, which which is you know what what high schoolers did before texting. Uh, so there's a lot of throwbacks, which confuses me about the audience because it was like this is definitely aimed at people who were like teens in the '80s, which would have been people born in the '70s. But it's it's aimed at a younger audience at the same time. So um, maybe it's a parent's kids thing. Not sure who <laughs> the target audience is for this exactly. Um, but it, but there's a lot, a lot of fun. It does kind of gets, it feels long in the, at the longer it goes like uh, act two and three drag a little bit. And I think it feeling so small and it only having two or three characters on screen doesn't help that you need a little bit more going on. Yeah, you start off the movie pretty grounded, right? Like Catherine Newton plays Lisa, who is uh, just moved in from out of town with her father, who's just married another woman in town. Uh, she has a new stepsister. Um, she's odd and weird. And her stepsister, Taffy, played by Lisa Sabrina, uh, Laffy Taffy, they call her. She's on the cheerleading team and she's popular and her hair is perfect and her skin's perfect. It's actually really funny. Uh, I realized about about a third of the way of the movie, she's basically playing like the same stereotype of Tia Carrera and Wayne's World, like Wayne's girlfriend. She's a little exotic, but super popular and looks great all the time and everything works out for her. And ultimately, she's also like Wayne's girlfriend. Very nice. She's nice to Lisa. She's not mean like where most of these other people would be. She's genuinely kinder. Lisa and her actually have a great scene towards the end of the movie where this is explained. Like, hey, like you see me in a way that other people don't. She invites her to parties. She's like, wear wear my outfit. I think it'll give you some confidence. Like she genuinely is trying to help Lisa kind of acclimate. Meanwhile, Carla Gugino uh, plays Janet, uh, uh, Lisa's new mom and Taffy's original mom who lives in the house with them, who is uh, just a total 80s 
I could I could say bitchy on the podcast, right? She's bitchy. It's, it's, it's yes. a thing. Like they they even make a joke about it in the movie. Like specifically, she's so uptight. And Lisa's staying in her house that looks like a museum on the inside. And anything, anytime anything is wrong, it's always Lisa's fault. And of course, there's Lisa's father, played by Joe Crest. His name is Dale. He is playing exactly his character from Stranger Things. And if you can't remember Joe Crest in Stranger <laughs> Things, it's yeah. because he plays Mike's dad, who is like non-existent '80s father with the big goofy glasses, who like. Like in no way is involved in anything the kids are doing. He goes to work. He comes home. He reads the paper. He watches the game. He goes to bed. Like he's the most apathetic cuck dad. It's perfect. Like these <laughs> these four as like this little family are like such a great like seed bed for a plot on top of uh, Lisa's undead boyfriend coming back to life and her sneaking him into the house like E.T., which again, very 80s like. All that stuff works great. Like that's all for first act stuff that is great setup. It gives us a lot of ground to run through the rest of the script. And of course, like it gives us a good foundation for the unreal to happen, which is a man comes back to life and is now walking, right? The, the dead, the dead are alive. Um, I think the movie does a pretty good job of kind of keeping itself in check whilst while straddling that that absurd line of logic that like this is possible and this is something characters would be aware with aware of and maybe okay or not okay with yeah like i said it takes a lot of cues from 80s films it feels authentically like an 80s film it it does modernize in a lot of a lot of ways it it uh subverts a few expectations it it sets up tropes you're familiar with and and kind of goes in different directions which is fun. Uh, Catherine Newton is is really funny as as the lead. A lot of good laughs. Cole Sprouse, who has like I said, no lines. He he does a lot of grunting, and he's got to wear like tons and tons of makeup to to play this un, undead person. Uh, also does good for not having to to speak in the the movie. A lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, ends up being like a really good time. Like I said, Catherine Newton does an awful lot of work here because she has to op- she has to act opposite Cole Sprouse, who's giving her very little. Uh, uh, I should say very little vocally. He actually does a pretty good job of emoting, believe it or not. And as he comes into the film and starts to slowly look less like he just crawled out of the ground and more like a normal person, you get a lot more of that from him. It's an active reward of the film that as as the runtime goes, he starts to look more like a, like a real boy, right? Like less less of our Frankenstein and more of Frankenstein's monster and more of a real person. Meanwhile, Lisa, of course who's privy to all of these events becomes a little bit worse, right? Like she starts to help her zombie boyfriend find his life again. And she keeps this a secret from people. And whereas normally this would draw somebody back from society, much like Dr. Frankenstein working on his creation up in his tower, Lisa Frankenstein instead becomes the id, right? She starts wearing what she wants to school. She stops caring what people think. She starts drinking sherry before she gets on the bus. She just starts doing whatever she wants. And it, it brings this like unabashed confidence. That's really refreshing to a character who in your first act is very reserved she's very herself she doesn't talk to anybody she goes and does wax rubbings at the local cemetery now she's like showing up to school looking like Winona Ryder and Beetlejuice and it's great and the costuming is a lot of fun and she's a lot of fun in it and the other kids are talking about her and she doesn't care and it's such a refreshing like jolt of energy in the middle of what would be an otherwise uninteresting character perfect opposite our monster who literally is jolted back to life um 
a clever bit from Diablo Cody, like that I think works really well. At first, I felt like it was just Tim Burton's Corpse Bride, but I very quickly realized, no, no, like there's <laughs> there's more happening here, and I think it actually ends up being really smart. Some good '80s songs, some fun lighting. I don't know. I I think Lisa Frankenstein might 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 be a cult classic. Um, what do you think, Andy? Any other thoughts on this for recommendations? I hate to wrap up, but I mean, I don't know what more to say. I think I'm ready for recommendations. Andy, would you recommend Lisa Frankenstein? Yeah, I, I would. It's a lot of fun. It's really funny. It's kind of an original horror piece from beginning to end. The setting's fun. Uh, there's a lot of subversion of character and expectations. It's a, it's a fun cast. Catherine Newton's putting the movie on her back. Carla Gugino's chewing the scenery as kind of the evil stepmom. Um, I would say that it's probably better to say for streaming unless you're really ex- excited uh, about it. I enjoyed it. But if if you're not a big horror fan, if you're not into the the, the Lisa Frankenstein vibe, you may not want to pay the admission to see it. But I would definitely catch it on streaming uh, when it comes to that. Yeah, I, I think Lisa Frankenstein is is low key good. Um, I think it's a great reminder that when you see something as a 50 on Rotten, that does not mean it's bad. Quite the opposite. It means you might like it even more. I think Lisa Frankenstein's perfect for like the right kind of audience member. I think it's a decent like Halloween rewatch. Um, I would say this was maybe bound to be an October feature at some point in its life. And then they realized they have to compete with like Bloomhouse horror and whatever other horror movies are coming out in October. So they figured we'll just kick it down the road to January. And I don't think it helps it. Um, might be a good Halloween watch. Like I said, come come next October. I might be looking up Lisa Frankenstein and encouraging some people to check it out. It's not perfect, but it's not bad. Uh, if anything, I think I've been looking forward to whatever Zelda Williams does next. And in that way, it's kind of the best a first-time director can hope for. Uh, I think Lisa Frankenstein might be good. And I think uh, we might be through this episode. God, it goes so fast. Andy, what are we watching next week? So the long-anticipated Madam Web is out tomorrow on February 14th so you can take your 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 dates to to celebrate on Valentine's uh, that's coming out early on on a Wednesday that of course stars Dakota Johnson, Sydney Sweeney and a couple of others that I don't remember uh Adam Scott it it looks not great but I definitely want to see it for the memes it's the big release the, this week I got to say that I I saw it I am looking forward to it in a weird uh masochistic way we're also going to be taking a look at American Fiction which is the Jeffrey Wright uh comedy dramedy that we've heard so much about nominated for several Oscars also stars Issa Rae and uh, Sterling K Brown that's those are going to be our two releases for next week and then uh just fyi if you're interested in the bob marley biopic that comes out uh tomorrow as well february 14th bob marley one love not getting great reviews but if you're a reggae fan or interested in in that that will also be available this week i'm looking forward to american fiction i don't know how we got to this point andy where you almost relish going to see bad comic book movies Cause you weren't sure about Aquaman two, but like you were down to see Aquaman two. And I was like, please don't make me go see that. And now we're going to see Madam <laughs> Web. And again, I find myself in this place where I'm like, I genuinely, I, I understand we do a movie podcast. I understand we stand again from watching these movies and covering them. Like we have an audience and they want to hear it. I get it. 
boy, I still don't want to go see Madam Web, but we're going to do it. All right. Like that's, these are the sacrifices we make on Oscar film review. And if you want to hear our Madam Web review, you want to hear what we have to say about American fiction. The best way you can hear next Tuesday's episode is to subscribe to the show. Wherever you're listening or watching this show, there's a subscribe button somewhere. It's, it's, it's in one of these windows, all right? It might be on your phone screen, wherever. I bet you can hit it. Probably not that hard to find. I'm sure it's not. You can follow us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartMedia, anywhere you find audio podcasts where you can follow the show there. You can subscribe or you're able to get new episodes downloaded straight to your phone. You can rate and review the show right there. Leave us a five-star rating or a comment if you like. Let us know what you thought. We appreciate it. And of course, if you're watching on YouTube, you can subscribe there as well. Big things happening on the YouTube channel. I know I say it every week. It's true. Every week there's bigger things happening. You got to come check us out on YouTube. Huge things going on over there. Uh, we're on all the usual audio platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that usual social media stuff. We're there. You can like, you can comment, you can follow us there too. Uh, our website is offscriptfilmreview.com and you can email us correspondence directly at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Might even get your correspondence right on the show. So write in, let us know. Keep us talking about movies because we love talking about them. We love talking about them with you. And that's, uh, God, that's the show. Off script episode 242. It goes fast. 250's coming. Subscribe before it's too late. You don't want to miss it. And uh, from all of us at Off Script Film Review, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.